On the 1st of February, 1992, uh, right here in the birthing center at Blacktown Hospital, our second child was born. Uh, we named her Tiffany Grace uh, because the name Tiffany comes the word theophany, which means the appearance of God, and uh, Grace, the appearance of God's grace. Now, not only was she born on that day, but she was born at 12 o'clock noon on her due date. And so we've told her that's the first and the last time she ever did anything on time for the rest of her life, at least up to this stage. But uh, grace is one of those words which may be common for us as a name. Uh, and maybe if you've been to church for a while, uh, you might have heard grace in the context of it's a, a free gift from God. And it is certainly all of those things, uh, but grace is also one of Paul's, uh, the man who's writing this uh, letter, it's one of his favorite words, it's one of his favorite topics, it's one of the favorite things he likes to write about. And so today in our text we come uh, where Paul says, I want you to know about the grace of God that he's given to the Macedonians. And, uh, and this particular grace comes in the context of this book, which I want us to look at here. Here we're diving into the grace of giving, and uh, it might sound like, oh, Steve, what in the world? Are we having another sermon on giving? You know, I thought we had a commitment to only do that a couple times a year here at MBM, and we do. But one of our commitments is to preach what the Bible says, and this is where we are up to here in our study of 2 Corinthians. So very excited at Christmas time to be able to talk about the grace that God gives to us in order to give. And up to this point in his letter, Paul has talked about grace in several ways already. If we were to jump back to chapter 1, and you can do that in your Bibles, it's going to come up on the screen. Paul says this, because I was sure of this, I wanted to come to you first so that you might have a second experience of grace. In other words, grace is something that can come to us more than once, even more than twice. It comes over and over again. In chapter 4 and verse 15 and 16, he said this, all of this, all that's happening is for your benefit so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. And coming up in chapter 12, Paul is going to pick up on this theme again, that there's something about grace from God that gives us the power or the endurance to go through long, protracted, very difficult times. And then again in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, Paul says, God made him, that's Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. 
Now, in this particular grace, this is the kind of grace that Paul is saying brings God up close and personal. And he says, God made his own son, Jesus, who had no sin to become sin for us. I kind of think of it like this. I don't know if you have a pet at home that sheds hair. We have 42 kilograms of pet in one dog that sheds a lot of hair. Probably 42 kilograms a year. I don't know. I haven't. But, you know, that hair tends to blow everywhere, get on our clothes. And so we have one of those rollers that we roll over the clothes. And I like to think of that hair as, in this context here, as the sin that was on me. God rolls his son, Jesus, who had no sin, absolutely clean and pure. He rolls him over me, and my sin goes onto him. Why? So I can become the righteousness of God in Jesus. So you can see from these verses that the idea of grace is really incredible. It's something that grows. That can, it's not just a, a one-time gift. It is something that comes to us when we don't have any strength as power. And it comes to us in a very up-close and personal way so we can experience the presence of God. Now here in our text today, it comes to us in a way that helps us give when we feel like we have nothing left to give. And this might be a kind of grace that you're looking for right now. Because even though it's talking about money here in this context, that's not the only thing that we have to give at times, right? I mean, sure, it talks about giving money in this particular case study at the Church of Corinth. But in chapter 9, it expands so that God gives us the strength, whatever we need to give at all times in every situation. And if you've been in a church or in a situation where churches have made a big deal about giving, you feel like every time you show up, they're like squeezing another dollar out of you. Or you watch television and there's the preacher on TV making promises that if you give so much money to his organization, you're going to get a thousand times more back again. I'm really sorry about that because that is nowhere near the grace that Paul is talking about here. And maybe you would say, Steve, I don't get it. Why do Christians make such a big deal about giving? And I'll tell you why. We make a big deal about giving because giving makes a big deal about God and His grace. And that's what we're going to see this morning. So we're going to ask three questions around that. First of all, what is this grace of giving? Secondly, how do we excel in this grace? And thirdly, what is God actually promising to give us? So let's look at this grace of giving. To help us understand what this grace of giving is, we need to understand what's happening at these churches in Macedonia. Those churches are particularly the church at Philippi, the church at Thessalonica, and the church in Berea. You can read letters to these churches in our Bible. You can read about them in the book of Acts. But Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, another city in Greece, and he's saying, look at these churches in the midst of severe testing, trials that led to extreme poverty. Their generosity welled up joyfully so that they gave in a way that is simply incredible. Now, most of you know our family had the privilege of living in Vanuatu for seven years traveled extensively through the islands, and really it was in that context that I think I saw 
some really difficult things, people living in some extreme poverty, but amazing joy and generosity in giving. I was on one particular island that was so remote, there was no cars. We had to hike, jump on some horses, ride some horses up into the mountains, come to a village where there's no electricity. The only running water was the river running past the village. And that night we enjoyed a swim in the river. That was our shower. And uh, as we shared God's word with them, people were there singing joyfully. They were there just loving to hear anything from God's word. And later on, we sat down on a pandanus mat, enjoyed a meal sitting down on the ground, slept on that same mat that night. And in the morning when we got up, we were getting ready to go, saddled up our horses. A very small group of Christians came out and they gathered around us and they insisted that before we go, they sing and they sang, God be with you till we meet again. That was what was most important to them. And then they handed me a rolled up mat, like the one I'd ate on and slept on the night before. And in that mat was 500 vatu. It's a big number, but it's about five bucks. And it's not only just a small amount of money, but it took an incredible amount of work for them to get that little bit of money. And they gave it joyfully and generously. And that's the grace God is talking about here that is available for each one of us. Because we know that uh, severe hardship does not usually equal joy. And severe poverty does not usually equal generosity. But that is the kind of grace that our God gives to us. It might look practically like giving money that we've saved for some, something else. It might look like finding energy that we feel we just don't have and God gives it to us. It might look like giving time that we simply don't feel like or that doesn't seem to exist. But God gives grace or we receive grace from God to give something that we feel we just don't have. So that's what it looks like to give uh, the grace that God gives to us. That's the grace of giving. What would it look like to excel in this grace of giving? Paul says there in verse 8, Since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Excel in the grace of giving. It almost seems like, how could God be asking of this? Excelling at a time of extreme poverty? Extreme testing? No, he's saying, I want you to excel in what I'm giving to you. And I think there's a couple of ways we can do this. First of all, I think we can excel in the grace of giving when we remember the sovereignty of God. Now, the word sovereignty is not here in our text, but it's written all through the Bible and stamped indelibly or unmistakably in this context. It is the sovereignty of God that brought them severe suffering. It was the sovereignty of God that put them in extreme poverty. If you're not familiar with the word sovereignty, uh, you might hear the word sovereign in that word. That's the idea of a king, 
reigning, the king reigning and ruling. And the sovereignty of God is simply this beautiful teaching throughout the entire Bible that our God, the God of the universe, whether he's your God or not, the God of the Bible is in absolute control of everything. And if you've come here this morning where you might be feeling some of this severity or extremity in your own life, the sovereignty of God ought to be such a deep comfort that this kind of joy begins to well up inside of you. And we'll get to that in just a moment. But remembering the sovereignty of God helps us to give joyfully, and it also helps us to give proportionately. In verse 12, and I'll read this for you, it says, For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. So let's be very clear about this grace. God doesn't come along, and the church or any religious institution should not come along and be squeezing you for every last dollar that you have. No, God is pleased when you look at what you have and you say, God, here's what I have. I want to give a, a portion to you. And so if you have a limited income, God is not expecting you to give as much as someone who may be working and, and making more money. That's the general principle of the Bible. But not only proportionally, but graciously in the sense that God wants us to find giving as an opportunity of trusting him. So we give uh, joyfully and we give proportionately. That's how the sovereignty of God, recognizing God's rule over everything in our lives, help us, helps us to excel in the grace of giving. But I think there's something else we need to remember here as well, and it's reflected well in, in some of the rest of these verses here, and that is remembering the seriousness of sin. In chapter 8 and verse 13, uh, Paul goes on to talk about some of the inequality that we find in the world today. And a lot of this inequality is built into the very nature of sin in that sin brings suffering. The wages of sin is not only death, but the wages of sin are all the things that lead up to death. The wages of sin is like all the bad choices that we make. The wages of sin pile in upon us, and so we suffer loss. And what, the what remembering the seriousness of sin helps us to do is, first of all, to give strategically. And interestingly enough, strategically in the biblical context is to look after God's family first. I love the verses that were read out to us just a while ago where he says in chapter 9 and verse 12, this service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. This gift was going to the Lord's people. Paul also told the church at Galatia, let us do good to all people, but especially to those of the family of believers. So while our aim is to do good to all people, we target, we strategize in looking after God's people first of all. Now, speaking of doing good to all people, this last week uh, we had one of my favorite events here at MBM, and that is uh, we bring Anglicare in. Anglicare is an organization that does good to all people. 
And uh, we bring them in, and every Christmas time, the people that they have served, the clients they've served over the last 12 months, come in here to our church. They can get a food hamper. The hall over there is set up as like a, a big W or a shopping center. They can push a little trolley around and collect toys. They get them wrapped. It is an amazing day. And we had over 100 families come through the front doors of our church who almost never go to church anywhere at all. That is doing good to all people. But when it comes uh, to the giving of our church here, we strategize 10% at least to go to the preaching of the gospel, our global partners. We support them directly, and we try to help through many, many other ways in our budget the hard times that our church families are going through. So we want to give strategically, and we also, the seriousness of sin also helps, reminds us that we want to give with integrity. And I love if you were to take the time to read the rest of chapter 8, you'd find that Paul uh, says, we want to give this gift in a way that is above reproach. And so he actually asks the churches to select men by the raising of hands. We're trusting these people to go with Paul and take this gift. Do you see Paul's strategy? He doesn't even trust himself. He doesn't say, give your money to me and I'll look after it. No, he says, we will take the money. We'll get people outside of ourselves. And friends, if people are asking you to give money to them and they're not open about it, they're not accountable around it, just hang on to your money. I mean, here at MBM, we take it so seriously that none of us pastors know what and who, who gives how much money here. We don't want to know about that. We don't want to take that chance of being corrupted. Our treasure and only a handful of people count that money. They look after it, and we are audited every year. We want MBM to be a safe place where people can give generously to God. So in helping us to excel in our giving, we want to remember the sovereignty of God we want to remember the seriousness of sin, and I love this next point. We want to remember the sacrifice of Jesus. Look at this beautiful verse in chapter 8 and verse 9, where it says, Though he was rich, or you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. So there's our word grace. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, he became poor. For your sakes, for my sake, he became poor. I want to ask you to think about something this morning. You don't have to share it with the people around you. But if I were to ask you, how would you describe what it looked like for Jesus to be rich? What would you say? Say, oh, I didn't think Jesus was rich. Yeah, you're right. When he was here on earth, he wasn't rich. But the Bible says he was rich, so it's clearly talking about a time when he wasn't here on earth. What did it look like for Jesus to be rich? Well, it looked like that. In part, before Jesus came down to earth, he was the owner of the Milky Way galaxy where you and I live. And in case you're not familiar with the Milky Way galaxy, that's not the sun in the middle. In fact, you can't even see the earth in this galaxy because we're just one of the little specks out about two-thirds of the way out. And another interesting fact I learned, because I'm not really a scientist, I don't know much about this stuff, but it was really cool in reading about this that we can't see across 
the Milky Way galaxy. In fact, this is not a photograph taken from the, the Hubble spacecraft. We can't get up there. Our whole little solar system is just a tiny, tiny speck in that galaxy. And this is what Jesus did. The Bible says Jesus spoke, boom, and the Milky Way came into existence. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. And not just the Milky Way galaxy, hundreds and hundreds of other galaxies. Jesus spoke and they came into existence. Now, some people say he spoke over 60 billion years and they came into existence. They argue about that. But here's the point. You try speaking or you try living for 60 billion years. Which one are you going to choose? You can't do either, can you? The point of the matter is God is so much bigger, so much more powerful than us. And Jesus owned all of this. And he came down here and became poor. What did that poverty look like? While I'm reading this, take a look at that galaxy and think about this. City of Light has written a beautiful song called Jerusalem, and these lyrics come from that. Speaking of Jesus, such a frail and lonely man holding up the heavy cross. See him walking in Jerusalem on the road to save us. See him there upon the hill, hear the scorn and laughter, Silent as a lamb, he waits, praying to the Father. See the king who made the sun, the moon, the shining stars. Let the soldiers hold and nail him down so that he could save them. See him there upon the cross, now no longer breathing. Dust that formed the watching crowds takes the blood of Jesus. He was that rich and became that poor so that through his poverty, you and I might become rich. And that's not a riches in rubies, not a riches in rupees. It's a, a richness in relationship with God, which he described back in chapter 6. I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. This is what this grace brings to us. So you can know if you're excelling in this grace of giving, if you're giving joyfully, proportionately, strategically, sacrificially, this is what this grace does for us. But some of you may have been in a context where, yeah, preaching about giving or pressure to give has really burnt you and cheesed you off. So let's try to ask this final question this morning and answer it. What is God actually promising here? And this is what he says in chapter 9. If you have your Bibles, you might look at chapter 9 and verse 8. And God is able. Let's just stop there for a moment. What is God actually promising? He is able. That means no matter where you are, what you're doing, anything happening in your life, this is so much more than just money your time, your energy, your thinking, your planning. God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. This has been one of my favorite verses for a long, long time. 
And I've seen God bless me personally abundantly so that I could do the work that he's called me to do. And sometimes that looks like the miraculous, but other times it looks like the mundane. You know what the mundane is? The mundane is just the common, ordinary life. The mundane is when you need help just to change another nappy. When you need help to get out of bed in the morning and go to that work team, which is incredibly stressful. When you need help to survive a relationship or a relationship breakdown. This is the kind of grace and blessing that God is promising here. Now, you guys, I think, are the choice service of the day. You know, we have 9, 10, 45, and 5. But you got to see that really cool kids video, and you got to see Reuben and Sheba up here testifying to God's grace in their life. And I'm so glad that Mark asked them that question, you know, what would have happened if God didn't answer your prayer? Because that's where a lot of us are, right? Are, are, right? I'm there with a couple things in my life right now where I have been praying and praying for grace from God to give me the miraculous. It hasn't come yet. And so it's a legit question for all of us. What happens when we don't get what we're looking for in the grace of God? Well, this is how God puts it for us. He says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Sometimes we think the gift is the money. We think it's the job. We think it's the child. We think it's the relationship. We think it's the partner. Sometimes we think that's the gift that we want and we need. And it's all good for it to be the gift that we want. But only God knows what we really need. And so when we don't get what we want, it gets even better because God gives, him, gives us himself. And so when we don't get from God what we're asking for, what we're pleading for, God gives us himself. That's the whole point of I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters. And so, you know, you've heard that saying, it's not the destination, it's the journey. Well, this is kind of the application of that in that it's not the gift, it's the journey with the giver himself. And I wish I could say to you this morning that uh, go and be blessed. Your life will be all good. Uh, but I can't do that because I was actually struggling. As I was driving here this morning, I was saying, God, I'm, I wish that I had more of the grace that I'm preaching about this morning. Because there's a few things I'd really like to change. And God was over in the seat next to me. It wasn't my wife, it was God. And he's saying, Steve, I'm right here. How much more do you want? How much more do you need? And so 
Here's what I suggest to you this morning. If you find yourself in that same situation, start with this last verse. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. So what I'm trying to practice is giving thanks to God for his indescribable gift. That means to look at Jesus, the one who made all of the universe, hanging on the cross. Look at him there until you see his poverty Look at his open tomb until you can say, thank you, God. Thank you. Thank you for this and thank you for that. All these things to be thankful for and see what God brings into your heart. What he puts on your mind as strength and a gift from himself. And so I hope you can see this morning, no wonder Christians make a big deal about giving. Because giving makes a big deal about our God and the grace that he gives to us. Now, let me wrap it up with these three things here. It, it could be possible that you're feeling a bit of pressure from God, the Bible, or me to stay in a hard situation and not run, and not leave. And that may be what you need to do, but let me say very clearly, if staying in a situation is not going to be safe for you, God doesn't intend this journey for you to take this journey alone and just with him and alone. He's put you in a family. Come and speak to me. Come and speak to Kim. Speak to another pastor here and say, look, I'm in this situation. I need some wisdom. And we'll pray with you and try to connect you with people who can help you make that decision. You might also be feeling some tension or stress around the lack of money, lack of time and energy and just saying, Steve, how can you be saying God is possibly asking me to give more? And I'll simply say this. God is able. And as you're giving thanks to him, as you're looking at his son Jesus and he puts something on your heart, do it. And you'll find out he's able. You will walk with him. You'll experience him in this journey in a way that you never could have without that extreme test and deep poverty. But I hope you're also feeling perhaps a sense of curiosity, hope, um, excitement, that maybe there's something here in a relationship with God and his son Jesus that you haven't quite gotten yet. And there is because I haven't gotten everything yet and I've been walking with him for a long time. And that's why I can preach this this morning with some excitement and some hope. I've seen God be able for a long time and I want you to have that as well. And so we could sum this up with perhaps three words, stay, maybe, give, and flourish. That's what happens when we give in God's grace, it leads to our flourishing and the flourishing of others. So would you pray with me now and ask for God to give us this grace? A loving Heavenly Father, you are so vast, your gift so indescribable, that in these few moments this morning of just skimming the surface, we want to stop here and ask for your help and pray, Heavenly Father, that you, in your grace and mercy, would give to us more of your grace 
that you give us more of this, this power, more of this ability to endure, more of this ability to give spontaneously, joyfully, cheerfully in a way that we could only give when we deeply understand your sovereignty and the sacrifice that you made for us when your son Jesus became poor so that we might become rich in him. Would you give us much grace today and help through him for his sake and in his name we pray. Amen.